I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to the Cattle Station Classroom Podcast where we learn about the North Australian beef industry and answer your questions. So, it doesn't matter how far from town you are, because we're bringing the classroom to you. Welcome to the Cattle Station Classroom Podcast. Today's lesson is part two on dark cutting beef, which is one of the most prominent meat quality issues worldwide. Again, I will be joined by Dr. Pete McGilchrist, who is a senior lecturer in meat science at the University of New England. Now, if you haven't already listened to our first episode, I suggest you press pause and go back and listen to that one. It's only about 10 minutes long. In today's episode, we're going to be having a discussion about what causes dark cutting in cattle and what we can all do on the ground to try and avoid this. Now, how, so if glycogen (laughs) is the key, how do we actually get glycogen? Like how can we fill up that bucket for cattle? Yeah, so I think if we just think of glycogen as the fuel tank of the muscle, um, it's a really, it's a really good way to think about it. So if you want to fill up your fuel tank, after a game of footy other than having a beer there's not much fuel in that actually there is a bit of carbohydrate in that um but we eat we eat well so the only way to fill up the glycogen is through good nutrition of the animals um and so glycogen is is basically a whole bunch of um glucose is stuck together in, a, in quite a complex uh, carbohydrate system which is easy to store in the muscle uh, and that's called glycogen and so when we break down glycogen we actually just cleave off glucose units off that and use that for energy so things that give us energy in our muscle um, as humans are uh, carbohydrate you know lollies glucose things like that now ruminants aren't quite so uh, fortunate to have uh, the availability of those things, so they have to uh, use their volatile fatty acids. So the main the main um, production unit from the rumen that is used to produce glucose is propionate, uh, which is one of the volatile fatty acids. But basically, a rough rule of thumb is you don't have to worry about that. A rough rule of thumb is if an animal is growing and putting on weight then they're getting good nutrition. If an animal is stagnant in weight or going backwards, they're not getting enough um, nutrition and they won't be producing much of that propionate to be able to, to, um, uh, to lay down that glycogen or keep the fuel tank full. So a, a really good rule of thumb is, I say, somewhere between 600, 700 or 800, even if you can, grams per day of growth, um, will really ensure that those glycogen fuel tanks are full in the muscle. So if the way to fill up the fuel tank is through nutrition, how do we empty the fuel tank? How are cattle actually losing glycogen? 
Yeah, really good question, Steph. So we can animals can have a full fuel tank uh, when they're laying down under the tree before you disturb disturb them to go to uh, slaughter, and and um, you know we can burn through all of that fuel on the way to slaughter, and that's and that's our aim as producers is to minimise that loss of fuel uh, between mustering and and getting them to the knocking box. Um, So realistically, things that burn fuel in the muscle, as you will know, are stress, so a release of adrenaline or anything that's stressful to the animal, and then also exercise. So anything that generates or that needs uh, muscle contraction to make the animal move, um, the only place that that energy comes from is from from the stored glycogen in the muscle. So if we want to if we want to minimise that loss of glycogen between the paddock and and the knocking box, we've got to reduce the amount of exercise the animals get uh, and minimise the stress um, that they also endure. Once you lose glycogen, then once that fuel tank has been emptied out or depleted by any level, how long does it take to fill it back up? Good question. It takes about 10 times as long to replete glycogen as it does to deplete it. So if we uh, give an animal decent levels of stress and exercise, one hour of stress and exercise, we can deplete enough glycogen that'll take us 10 hours to replete that same glycogen. So two hours, let's say uh, two hours of stress and exercise takes us a whole day to refeed that. So if you've got, if you've got an animal uh, and they've been you know, mustard and trucked and stuff for 24 hours, it'll take you It'll take you kind of 12 days to replete that same amount of glycogen that's been lost across that period. Wow. So it's not actually just about making sure they have access to nutrition to fill up that bucket. Like you can throw all the nutrition at the world at them, but they still need time as well. Yeah, that's right. It, it, it's um, because you can fill the bucket quite slowly and you can empty it really fast. Now let's go back to the car analogy again. If you want to drive from Broome to Kununurra, you've got to drive quite steadily and sensibly. Now, if you did that at 200 k's an hour and you did a whole heap of circle work or, or what do you call it in, in WA, broggies, um, in, the, in the middle, um, you'd burn a lot of fuel, right? And if you if you held it in third gear and you're running at three and a half thousand revs in a diesel, you'd burn through a lot of fuel. So it's not about it's not just about time. It's about how you how you spend that time as well. So how many revs the animals are doing during that pre slaughter period is also really important. So if you can just idle them along, um, you know they're doing eight hundred a thousand revs. Uh, it's far better than an animal redlining that whole period. But yes, it takes, it's not as simple as a lot of people say, well, why don't we just feed them at the, at the abattoir for a couple of hours before we knock them? It's impossible. We cannot get the, the enough nutrition into them to replete the glycogen they've lost. So it really comes down to having a full tank of fuel when you leave the farm and then minimising the, the usage of that fuel on their way to the knocking box. So sticking with this car analogy, look at me thinking on the spot, um, when it comes to refueling then, you don't have the option of that high-flow diesel pump. Like there's no fast option to replenish. You just have to use your regular pump. You don't get to go over to the truckies bay and kind of use high-flow. Yeah, that's right. Well, you can use high-flow if they've come off a high-flow. Like if they've come out of a feedlot, you can put them back on a feedlot ration and, you know, that's pretty high levels of energy going in. But a lot of – there's not many – feedlot animals are not really at risk of dark cutting 
that much, although we still have probably double the incidence of Australia in Australia and feedlot cattle than what I'd like to see. Um, but if you're going to try, it's energy. Basically, kilojoules of energy going down their throat uh, is is just like a high fuel pump. And if they're not used to that to that type of ration, then it takes a long time to to change the rumen microbes and all that sort of thing. So you're, you're spot on. We can't take them off a off a uh, uh, a low flow pump and jam them straight onto a high flow. It's not it's not possible. Now, earlier on, you were saying that the incidence of dark cutting in grass-fed cattle is significantly higher than in grain-fed cattle. Is that because, so grain-fed cattle, obviously they're on grain, so they have, you know, peak nutrition year-round. doesn't matter what the season is because they're being fed grain, um, so they've got good nutrition, whereas grass-fed cattle, obviously, as you go through the seasons, you have a different quality and and quantity of feed available so is that why we have a a higher incidence in dark cutting uh, sorry in grass-fed cattle because they don't have as equal access to good nutrition yeah that's certainly a major contributor Steph um you know the the feedlot rations are what 11 megs of energy megajoules of energy per kilo up to kind of 12 and a half maybe uh, a hot, pretty hot ration. So, yeah, there's certainly a lot of energy going down their throat. But the other major major contributor is the animal's habituations to new environments and to humans. So they're in a smaller pen. Um, they see a feed truck every day. They might see a pen rider every day. They've been through yards multiple times uh, to get weighed and looked at and drafted and that sort of thing. So they're um, what I call habituation to humans is also much higher. So they're, they're a bit more resilient. And I guess you can think of grass-fed animals, here's another good analogy for you, but you take a bush kid and put him in a rock concert in Perth. Um, now, kids that grow up in Perth are going to be much more accustomed to, to enjoying that rock concert than a bush kid that's never seen a crowd uh, like that at all. So We've got to think about how we can habituate our cattle to humans just like um, just like those grain-fed animals are. Um, and a really good – I've just finished a study actually on, on King Island um, in, in COVID times this year. And so we got the producer to feed a whole bunch of cattle down there for us, a supplement every day. Now, this producer typically runs at about 8 to 10% dark cutting. Um, and we made them supplement these animals for, for about 50 days um, with what we thought would, uh, would, would fix the dark cutting issue. So we gave the, uh, the control group um, the similar supplement, but we gave the, the treated groups this, this added ingredient, which was a mycotoxin binder. Anyway, that's beside, beside the side. And when we, we sent these 100-something-odd animals into slaughter, they got two out of the whole lot that were dark cutters. And normally that easy get 10 or 15 out of a mob that size. So, you know, was it just because we fed them or was it because those animals had seen a human for the last 50 days of their life? They'd seen tractors, they'd seen side-by-side buggies, they'd seen a whole lot of things come out and they'd been mustered and they got really, really quiet um, to that human because that's one struggle we've got in the beef industry is is we put these, we muster these animals in, they might be really habituated to, to us or they know our system and our yards, but essentially we lose control of them as soon as we put them on that truck. So you kind of wave goodbye and hope for the best. So a bit like your kids going off to school, you've got to set them up with the skills um, that you know they're going to achieve when when they get to school. 
Uh, you know they're going to be good people or good students or whatever. You know they're not going to freak out too much when they when they get to school because you can't control the teachers. You can't control their friendships with others. You can't control that new environment that you're sending them to, just like our cattle. We can't control the truckie. We can't control when he stops for lunch or dinner or whatever. We can't control what pen they get put in at the abattoir. We can't control how long. Well, we can control. We can have conversations about how long they're in that pen for. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But largely, the best thing we can do do for our cattle is set them up for success. So basically have them quite habituated to humans um, so that humans are their friends, not their foe. So when they see other humans, they're like, hey, I don't mind humans. And, and they're friendly towards those new humans. Because the worst thing we can do is every time they see someone new or a new experience, that they release a whole bunch of adrenaline and have a really big stress response. Because if they do that, then we really chew through that muscle glycogen at a fast rate. It's incredible to think that all your hard work could be undone the moment that your cattle leave the farm gate because of how other people are handling them. Spot on. Absolutely. So how can we assure against that is, as I said, really trying to set those animals up well on farm that we know they can handle that situation. So make sure those fuel tanks are full, so good nutrition. Uh, and the other way is really, you know, doing your best at, at um, habituating them to humans. So whether that's yard weaning or, you know, trail feeding or, um, you know, even putting your phosphorus supplements out during the wet season. If you do that calmly and they come around you and, and you know, they're all walkover weighing systems, that's, that's pretty good. It gets them all trained and calm as well. So there's a whole bunch of ways we can really change the psyche of those animals um, so that they see human and human structures and environments as, as not, not stressful. And I guess it's a bit like taking that bush kid into the city. Once you leave them there for, for six months or so, they're right at home, you know, so they, they habituate themselves to that new environment. Now, cattle are no different to that at all. If you put them in these new environments and you give them a favourable time, uh, they'll, they'll adapt and they're like, oh, yeah, this is no stress. It's exactly like yarding our animals when we um, – because essentially grass-fed animals have a pretty poor uh, – thoughts about what humans are because we muscle them in the first time and knock their nuts out and probably brand them and then bring them in again and give them a vaccination so they don't have too many fun ideas about what these humans represent uh, and then so that weaning experience is probably the first time we really have the opportunity to um, uh, to make them essentially essentially love us and and know think that they're our friend not our foe. There's been a number of studies into muscle glycogen and dark cutting. What do we actually know about the major causes of it? Yeah, there certainly has been a lot of money spent over the years on looking at uh, what causes dark cutting. And the really complex thing, Steph, is that it's, it, it's actually multifactorial. So like we've talked about a lot today, the nutrition, the stress and the exercise of the animals. So 
you know, it's not necessarily one thing that causes dark cutting, but the the additional or, or multiplication of a few small things add up to sometimes a high incidence of dark cutting. Um, so think about the, the major things that we see cause dark cutting. You know, this is old research um, from the 80s and 90s, but still very, very relevant. Um, things that cause a lot of stress and exercise together are the things that cause a lot of dark cutting. So one thing is the mixing of mobs, which, you know, I know a lot of producers don't do already, but the, the re-ranking of, of individuals within, you know, in their hierarchy in a mob, um, you know, there's a lot of fighting, there's a lot of um, so muscle contraction to fight, there's a lot of release of adrenaline as well. Um, so that's certainly one. Drafting of mobs, even though it's a, it's a lighter form of mixing, um, we're basically removing the, the social hierarchy from a mob if we draft animals off and send them off to slaughter. So again, those animals, if given enough time, they will totally re-rank um, during during that period. I just reviewed a really interesting paper actually out of Brazil that was looking at um, flooring in the, in the abattoirs and whether we could change the flooring uh, to give the animals a more comfy period during that layerage. And, and so they brought one mob in and then divided it into three groups uh, and then left them there overnight. And the fighting and re-ranking within those three new groups basically undid all the benefits of having 10 centimetres of, of sh- uh, sugarcane straw in one of the pens. So a really comfy pen was undone totally by this re-ranking. So uh, re-ranking animals is a big thing. Another thing that causes stress and, and exercise is the mounting of animals. So that might be in bull groups or bad. Um, we work a lot in East End Australia, of course, with steers, but also heifers. Heifers run at about 1.8 to 2% higher in dark cutting than, um, than steers simply because of, you know, one in every 21 animals is, is on heat um, with the law of averages. Uh, so they either chase her or mount her or whatever all night. So some of the some of the big um, things that we work on is really reducing that time that between mustering and the knocking box. So if we minimise that time as much as we can, it, it doesn't allow for much time to mount each other or, or social re rank or you know be frightened by the new humans or be frightened by the tin that's now over their head you know in a layerage situation or weather you know, might be inclement weather when they go. So if we shorten the time between getting off the truck and getting into that knocking box uh, down to as close as to two hours as we can, uh, we really minimise the opportunity for a lot of those stresses to occur. So if they've come off pretty poor nutrition, um, you're probably not going to send them direct to slaughter or to be MSA graded anyway. So it's these animals that I'm talking about. Reducing the time in layerage is really important for those animals that have come off good nutrition and we're going to get MSA graded. They're the ones that you've got to reduce that time in layerage. If we're bringing animals off suboptimal nutrition, and so I'm talking about those animals that are kind of growing, losing weight, uh, maintaining weight or kind of growing a couple hundred grams a day, for those animals, the best thing to do is probably get them closer to a processor uh, and then and then uh, give them a rest on a farm for about 30 days. So they've got to be on the same farm, MSA rules, for 30 days prior to. So that's a very cautious rule set by Meat Sands Australia to basically ensure they get habituated to their new paddock or feedlot pen and then 
their nutrition is good enough for long enough to replete that glycogen that they've lost. So on really good nutrition, it only takes about that 10 or 12 days to fully replete the muscle glycogen, but it might take us a few days to get used to our new environments, et cetera. So if, if cattle are getting trucked long distances, that rest period is, uh, is a really uh, valuable thing to think about. Now, the other thing on the other side, we work a lot with processes to really maximise the time between slaughter and when the, animals get gra- uh, when the animals get graded. Because what that does is allows you to drive slowly from Broome to Kununurra. If I say you've only got two hours to get there, you've got to drive like a bat out of hell. And, and a lot of the time, well, you won't get there. Um, and exactly like if you grade animals too early, they haven't completed that journey from 7 down to 5.5. So the longer we can have between slaughter and grading, um, the better it is in terms of incidence of dark cutting. So we work with processes a lot on that. We also work with processes a lot around how the animals get handled in, in larage, um, whether they're, you know, what pens they're in. Um, we've done a fair bit in the feedlot industry just recently looking at the effect of weather. Now, there was an effect of weather, but it was really tiny. Some of these other factors that come from the, from the producer end or the processor end uh, had a much greater effect than, than the uh, inclement weather that the animals got subjected to. So, yeah, there's a, it's the multifactorial nature. Now, you probably won't remember all of those things. The thing you have to think about is anything that causes stress or exercise between disturbing them from under the tree and getting to the knocking box will deplete that um, fuel store of glycogen in the muscle. So um, any of those, we don't know a lot of the time whether they're additive or or, um, multiply each other, but we've just got to reduce them as much as we can. I think that you've just covered off really nicely why I've chosen this topic for the Cattle Station Classroom podcast, even though for many of us, we are a fair way down the supply chain from when cattle go to slaughter uh, in most instances, but not all the time. You've just explained that, you know, it doesn't matter where you are at the supply chain, you have a the ability to impact cattle and their glycogen levels. Is there any parting advice you would leave with people, um, whether they're a ringer, um, a backpacker, truckie, work in Lairage at the abattoir, livestock agent, anybody, um, or even a, a stockman on the boats um, or working at a feedlot, like what they can do um, to help us all kind of tackle this problem? Yeah, look, communication and organisation are king in the in the uh, beef value chain, you know. So we've got to know where the animals are going uh, and we've got to get our cattle ready for their big day which is you know heading off heading off the property if we send if you send them direct for slaughter so you've got to prepare them just like an athlete would prepare to go to the olympics okay they're not going to the olympics and don't tell them what happens on that big day but preparation is everything and then communication about what's going to happen to those animals so communication with the truck driver communication with the processor um is is really really important even if you're not supplying cattle direct to market as we just talked about getting those animals habituated to humans uh reducing their temperament scores now you remember from your honors that the temperament of the animals is is important for dark cutting but it's also really important for the for the growth so quiet animals uh go on feed much easier when they go to a feedlot um you know they they're 
feed efficiency is much higher. So essentially everything we do in, in the world for to reduce the amount of dark cutting is also really, really beneficial to um, if you're selling feeder animals or weaners or whatever, is also really beneficial in for those animals as well because quieter, calmer animals um, that can handle new situations, new people um, are really more resilient, I guess, to change and they'll adapt to their new environments better. So at the end of the day, means more profitability for everyone. So yeah, it's been um, it's been great to chat through a few of these things with you today, Steph. Yeah, I think it's a really good introduction to dark cutting and I look forward to having you back on the podcast for another topic. Thanks, Pete. Thanks. No worries at all. Great to chat. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 